Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. And this is GM GM from from Decrypt. Decrypt. Alrighty, and we're back. Jeff, we've done two big, big names in the crypto space, and now I'm delighted to bring on one who I feel like is a little more up and coming. I mean, everyone in crypto knows her now, but I'm not sure that everyone in the mainstream does. Amy Wu, very pumped to bring her on. Yeah, she's not so new to me because I've covered investing in Silicon Valley for a long time, and she's been a rising star for years. Uh, Lightspeed Ventures is, you know, one of the A-list VC firms, and very cool to see her. You know, she's like the hot talent, and she jumped to crypto to join SBF. So it's going to be really interesting because also these are the money people. They're the ones who are literally betting on the future. So where the money's going is a good sign where the crypto trends are going. Exactly right. And especially lately, I feel like she's become one of, if not the leading kind of Twitter thinkfluencer on metaverse and NFTs in the gaming world, which we know is such a hot button issue. I mean, every gaming company that announces NFTs gets immediate backlash. I want to press her on that. And I wonder if it's going to change. I mean, why do the gamers who hate NFTs so much hate them so much? Yeah, that's an obstacle. You're trying to build an industry, but there's like tens of millions of active haters against you. So let's ask about that. But I want to ask about when are we going to be able to use this stuff? I, you know, as you know, I tried to play Axie Xfinity and it was a miserable experience. You know, I think <laughs> crypto gaming is great in theory, but you know, I'm, I don't think anyone's going to give up their Wordle or their Gears of War anytime soon. So let's push on that too. Yeah, I love it. And uh, we should tell all the listeners to check out your column on your experience trying to play Axie. I thought that was great. It's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine who left a well-known video game maker, but one that as of now hasn't done anything with crypto and NFTs, to go to a new gaming company just a couple months ago, and they are about to announce a kind of Web3 play. And he told me that what he often hears lately is that some people in the gaming world wish Axie weren't the poster child for, you know, play to earn gaming and, and metaverse gaming that, you know, it kind of worked out that way, but there are some drawbacks to that. And of course, you know, Amy's a big fan and FTX is a big fan of Axie. So we'll definitely get some insight from her on that. Yeah, we're asking the right person. All right, let's, let's go see what Amy thinks about all this. Amy Wu, GM, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Welcome, welcome. We've been so eager to talk to you. And let's just start with your news, big recent news, because you know if we had had you on just two weeks ago, I'd introduce you as Lightspeed Ventures, but instead now you have moved over to FTX. So tell us about the move and the new big, big, big fund that you're overseeing. Yeah, super exciting, big life change, career change. So I, yeah, current full-time at FTX now, I'm living in the Bahamas. I moved here about three weeks ago. And, and you know, a lot of people ask me whether it's because of taxes. And uh, no, it's because <laughs> it's because FTX's international headquarters are in the Bahamas. We're here for licensing reasons. And so, yeah, it was a long time in the making, actually. So I got to know Sam Bankman-Fried, CEO of FTX, last earlier last year. 
previously I had been leading crypto and gaming investing at Lightspeed, which is a big VC fund, and had the great pleasure again to know him as part of the Series B fundraise. And so got to know him. We worked really closely together across a number of initiatives, and there was an opportunity to to come on board full time and actually do investing and operating. So in my life, I'd always done both. You know, I was an operator for probably half of it. I was a CFO at a software company called NewsCred and then was an executive at Discovery. And then, you know, I've worked in venture for a long time. And to be able to do that under one roof at what I think is one of the most exciting crypto companies in the world and under such an extraordinary CEO like Sam was just um, such an amazing opportunity that I jumped on it. Yeah. Uh, Amy, it's Jeff here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before getting into the stuff about the funds and where crypto is going, I'm just curious, like, what's the Bahamas like? And like, what do you and SPF do there for fun? Like, how do you guys hang out? <laughs> League of Legends. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. So we, we have about 60 people in the office now here, about 200 total globally. And um most of the people who will be here have moved to the Bahamas. And, you know, it's, it's first of all, the temperature, the climate is amazing. I think it's like zero degrees in New York and it's, you know, in the seventies here in the Bahamas. So people who want to come visit, you got to let us know. Well, we're happy to host. There's a lot going on. I mean, crypto moves really quickly. And so we spend a lot of time in the office working together. But, you know, when there's time, we also are currently playing, for example, a lot of paddle ball together. Very cool. Okay, let's talk some crypto. So you have this giant war chest of money that's dedicated to investing in crypto. But what does that mean? It sounds like a lot of it's going to be gaming focused. But, you know, it's sort of take us inside the world of being a crypto VC. Like, what do you do on a day to day basis? You know, people want money from you. What do you do? What projects are you looking at? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so we're really fortunate to have launched the fund with $2 billion in capital. And also it is, uh, we're not taking external LPs for the, for the time. It is actually just Sam and FTX and providing this capital. And so it really gives us absolute flexibility around the types of deals we want to do. Also the terms that we want to do, you know, there's no minimum check size. There's no maximum check size either. We are broadly, our model, our fund model is by builders for builders. You know, we really want to be seen as super flexible and strategic capital in the market and back teams that are just building awesome projects, great products in crypto and Web3. And so pretty broad mandate, really excited about Web3. Gaming is one part of it, but also spending a lot of time in DeFi and learning more about the different L1, L2 ecosystems that have really risen over the last 12 months, I would say, and uh, participating in those. Also emerging categories as well, you know, Life sciences, healthcare is an interest as an area that we're interested in. Also, sort of insurance, infrastructure, DevOps. There's a lot of incredible new applications for blockchain. I would say that's really coming online this year, even with the volatility of the markets. And we're pretty broadly interested in all of them. Yeah, I've just got a nerdy question about how the fund works because I covered Silicon Valley for a long time mm-hmm. with, you know, funds like Lightspeed that everyone knows about. But the crypto VC funds are kind of a new beast, you know, as Coinbase Ventures has one and there's Paradigm. There's just a couple of them. And how is it different? My understanding is the liquidity calculation is different. Traditional VC, you wait seven years, hope you cash out. But with the VC fund, typically you take tokens and you can liquidate some of them or, you know, just how's this game different from what you've been doing the last 10 years? I would say that from a structure perspective, I mean, at FTX Ventures, it's uh, the, the biggest difference is actually taking external LPs versus not and the flexibility we have there and just the time we can 
the speed in which you can move. And in terms of this, the day to day though, being a generalist VC at Lightspeed, you know, we really spent a lot of our time working with a portfolio, adding a lot of value. And that is actually quite similar here in terms of we can invest in equity and tokens. I mean, I would say that at this point, a lot, um, a lot of generalist VCs, hedge funds, et cetera, can do the same. And in terms of the time horizon, most funds take external capital and in sort of like a 10 year time frame of return capital, let's say you deploy the fund in the first couple of years. This is more of a recent thing. I think people used to deploy funds a lot slower than, you know, about five years ago or so. And then, you know, over, you basically have committed that over time you will return capital to your LP based with a fund lifetime of 10 years. And that's similar, I would say, whether you're a crypto VC or not. It's different if you have a liquid token fund that functions more like a hedge fund where there might be people can take like redemptions on a quarterly basis. That really is on a fund by fund basis. Well, and to piggyback off Jeff's question, Amy, I wonder how things have changed or maybe you're not able to tell yet, but you know, with the time to come and these conversations you have with potential investments, potential portfolio companies, how does it feel different when you're now representing the investment arm of a company, you know, as opposed to a VC firm? Because I wonder if someone's considering, you know, especially given that recently there's all the chatter about how the relationship has somewhat shifted and it's not, you know, the, the startups pitching the VCs, here's why you should invest in us more and more. It's also the VCs saying, here's why we'll be the best partner. We're going to help you. We're going to guide you. Please choose us. Does that calculation and that conversation change when it's, you know, the investment arm of a company like FTX? Because now the target, the, the startup that you want to invest in or the project, they also know that it's FTX and, and everything that comes with that name? It's like a really good question, corporate venture arms. And it really kind of depends on how that fund is set up. So in most cases, I would say the fund is primarily the company investing off of its balance sheet and has this really specific strategic mandate, you know, that it's going to be value add to the company or it's a path to acquisition, et cetera. But that's sort of not the intent of FTX Ventures. It is actually a separate fund and not we're not investing off balance sheet. And so the strategic element of it is additive. I mean, it's great if there's um, opportunities to partner that benefits FTX. But I think in our perspective, I mean, there's a lot of capital out there and we're always thinking about how do we differentiate ourselves? Why should a founder choose us to partner with over somebody else? And so we're hoping that actually the FTX's value flows the other way, which is that, you know, if a founder works with us, then there's, they get access to kind of resources and advisory across listings, you know, protocol design. They also get access to kind of, we have hundreds of partners across the globe. We're in 150 jurisdictions. And so that, that actually is the value. It's, it's seen as like value add kind of the other direction toward the founder. Cause to your point, like there's so much capital out there right now that the founder really can have the top founders can have their choosing on like who they want to partner with yeah uh, amy uh, dan's gonna take us into gaming in a minute but i have one more question for you it's gonna be a bit of a hard one so heads up okay. um there's a meme going around twitter a couple weeks ago about uh targeted at a16z and i think jack dorsey got into a fight with paul andreessen about it you know the one i'm talking about it's basically there's, shows there's some these, great like, memes that came VCs. out of that 
Yeah, yeah. There's some, you know, basically this fat VC guzzling all the tokens and the retail investors being totally shafted, you know, and then also, you know, down the road, the uh, the VCs dump the tokens and the retail people kind of miss out on, you know, the, the boom that is Web3. Do you think that's fair? And do you kind of, you know, did you think about that at all and how it might, you know, affect your strategy? It's, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, investing in Web3 is interesting because there's always, it, it, there is a shift from more traditional investing. There's a, it's a lot more community driven. There's a lot more transparency on what's going on. And so there's constant narrative and paranoia that Web3 is just going to become centralized, just like the previous kind of rise of industries and the internet, et cetera. And so I think it's good for people to remain paranoid about it and to call out bad actors. I don't think, you know, A16 is, is, a, is a bad actor. I actually think that in general, crypto and, and, and Web3 is so early that we are all actually kind of swimming in the same direction, trying to get more adoption rather than fighting it amongst each other. That's kind of a luxury that a mature industry has. But, you know, right now we're actually in an industry in which, you know, there's so many people, like millions of people worried about environmental issues that really stems from like a lack of kind of really understanding. And so I think we're all in the industry we have a responsibility for education, helping people on board and generally hoping to get more adoption. And Amy, I mean, since Jeff brought it up, let me just push you a little bit further. In some ways, it does sometimes feel like Andreessen Horowitz is the elephant in the room of crypto. I mean, increasingly, and you know, because we cover all this stuff, we're always getting the advanced releases of you know X company is announcing its new round or its new valuation, and it just feels like Andreessen is in everything. I mean, I don't know if you if you have a, a thought on that. <laughs> they're definitely really aggressive. I mean, they just came out saying that they're raising was it a four point five billion dollar fund, yeah. and so that would be by far the largest crypto fund out there. And so they're certainly aggressive and, you know, they have a really great team. So we see them more as a co-investment partner. And of course, inevitably we compete on deals as well. Cool. Well, as Jeff said, let's talk gaming. You know, uh, Amy, that's how you and I first found each other. I feel like you're a great voice on Twitter. Everyone should follow Amy at Amy Tong Wu about gaming and the metaverse and all that stuff. And of course, what fascinates us is the push and pull with NFTs and NFTs that are now used in play to earn games and the traditional hardcore gamers who appear to hate NFTs. You've done some great tweet threads on this, but just give the listeners a little bit of your take on how this came to be, why this is. I mean, maybe they don't all hate NFTs, but it sure seems like enough of them do that every game company that now comes out and and even dares to say that it's considering eyeing NFTs, in-game NFTs, they get instant backlash. I mean, what's going on here? Yeah, I, I think maybe nine months ago, I don't know, six to nine months ago, I wouldn't have been able to predict kind of how fierce the animosity has, has been with um, some gamers against NFTs. And it's unfortunate, but it's interesting. There's so many parallels, I think, that people have drawn to the rise of free-to-play. And and that this is it's kind of like another paradigm shift that a lot of gamers are worried about. At the, I think, root of a lot of this is there are a few fan bases more passionate than a gamer is about their game. They're super protective of kind of this sticking to the the integrity of the content that the studio is doing the right thing that their voice is being respected and sort of any attempts to that they're sensing that the studio is making trade-offs that actually make that content experience worse in exchange for profits and and etc is sort of seen poorly and and that was a lot of the pushback on free-to-play mobile at the beginning people were like 
oh, these games, you know, suck. They're, they're not very high quality. And it's just like a money grabbing game. And those are exactly the same things that people are saying about Web3 games. And so I think the first crop of games, a lot of them were play to earn games, right? This is a, this is a category. People kind of think of it as synonymous with GameFi. A lot of the tokenomics were designed. They're simple games in a lot of ways. And really the, the fun is actually around the game mechanics and tokenomics of the game, right? There's ways to make like a 100x, I don't know, 500x return on the token and a lot of NFTs or see a ton of you know, value accretion. And that's sort of like the focus of a lot of these games, I would say. And so it kind of also attracts a certain type of player, which tends to be traders that are looking at at the game really as kind of like almost like a financial instrument. And well, and is that fun? <laughs> in some cases it is. I mean, it's a fine line, right? Between what's fun and what's not. I I think that we have yet to see AAA studios and and really experience sort of free-to-play mobile studios alike kind of going after and building these web3 games with deeply embedded token NFT mechanics that actually just add to the gameplay. Some of these are in development, but they're probably going to take a couple of years to build, right? So I think the gamers really haven't seen what it could be, what it really could look like. Instead, you get a lot of press announcements that some game a game company is, is dropping NFTs. They're surprised. You know, a lot of them don't know what NFTs are. There's scary disclaimer, kind of legal language that they're seeing, and it just doesn't feel good for a lot of them. And so then they kind of just, it's easier to just equate NFT equals bad. And they don't, they're not like listening further or discerning the nuances in this narrative. And this was really kind of this, like quite similar with free to play. And so I think a couple of things, one game studios should be a lot more thoughtful and careful about like how to communicate with their player base, especially if you're taking a beloved game and adding blockchain components to it. It's different when you're creating a new game if you're an indie studio or a big studio creating a new game from scratch, because you then will attract a player base that wants to play that. But pivoting an existing game into blockchain is trickier. And so there's a lot of things that we're learning real time on what's working, what's not mm. working, how to involve the community in a much closer way rather than surprising them. But at the end of the day, I think it will also take either like a new studio or an incumbent studio to just create and, and launch this amazing game experience that will actually show players like, okay, here's the, here's like all the ways you can use NFTs and tokens in a much deeper way. That's super fun. And that's, what's going to convince people. And then there's probably going to be some gamers that will never be convinced. And there is still a divide between mobile and triple A for this very reason, even to this day, even though I think at this point, mobile gaming is like 60% of total game revenues, right? It's totally dominant. There's still like non-believers. And so I think we'll be creating a lot of new Web3 gaming fans along the way as well, in addition to converting some of the existing gamers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, our, our colleague Jason Nelson was saying that they should just stop announcing what they're going to do and do it and launch the thing and have it be a good product rather than here's what we're going to launch because you're just opening it up for public comment. But when you talk about the gameplay and, and whether the point is for it to be a fun game or the point is to make money, Jeff, you got to tell Amy your your own experience trying to play Axie. Yeah, I wrote about this recently. I'm like, okay, let's go play some Axie, find out what the fuss is all about. And, you know, so I got my ETH. I was like, okay, I need to buy Axies just to play, transfer money to, and then I found out you have to go to the Ronin Bridge and open a whole new wallet to do that. That wasn't fun, especially getting like ding, like 60 bucks to move ETH. Then I went to buy some Axies to play and, oh, you have to buy three of them. And that's, they're all like hundred bucks each. And I had like, you know, 200 bucks left. And that point I was just like, screw this. I'm checking out. It was a hideous experience. And, you know, I get it. You know, you know, maybe I should have known this and stuff like that. But the reality is like people have games they like to play. People are playing League of Legends. People are playing Wordle, you know, and from what everything I've heard, Axie Infinity is not fun. It's not like, you know, Gears of War or something. So, you know, we know people are playing this. There's people in the Philippines. It's a test, blah, blah, blah. It will evolve. But what I want is when. You know, this is just like it was a hideous user experience. You know, what's the timeline until this stuff gets solved? And who's going to fix it? Like, you know, there's just there's obstacles everywhere. MetaMask is an obstacle. You know, they, all of it. So, you know, I realize I don't mean to put this all at your feet, but you're <laughs> the new kind of gaming maven of, you know, you know, NFTs and crypto. So give us a timeline and who is going to fix this? It's interesting. Well, first, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I will credit the Axie Infinity team for um, really actually establishing this concept of Web3 gaming in the mainstream gaming industry's mind. I mean, after that game blew up, there wasn't a single studio elite who was who didn't hadn't heard about Web3 games and wasn't like at least thinking about it and thinking about building something in it. So a huge credit to them for that. And I think like the the experience, there's there's definitely a lot of room to improve the onboarding experience. It's interesting that despite how difficult it was to play it, they still reached, I think, like 3 million DAUs, which is substantial in terms of like, you know, nothing to to like disparage in terms of in terms of engagement. But like this is where the next phase, and we're we're currently out of TX, we're actually currently talking to a few dozen different gaming studios in the world where these are these are studios with tens of millions of players already and they're thinking through this but how do you actually create an experience in which the first of all a gamer doesn't actually have to participate in the nft part of this of this product they can actually play the game exactly how they've been playing before and for some people who really do care about this concept of ownership and want to trade their nfts and do fun things with it then they can and that's where, for example, you know, FTX, like, so in, in this run an example, right, you have to plug in your MetaMask and do a lot of steps before, you know, you, you need to pour like Ethereum over and there's like currency translations. It's like basically like, it actually takes maybe like a day or so, like on the in onboarding and offboarding. So imagine if let's say you're um, a game and you already have 10 million players, you're, each of those players actually have an account. And when they open up the account, they actually have a I have a crypto wallet already you know spun up so that as they're playing the game they're getting like items and stuff some of them might be nft some of them not it's already sitting in a wallet that's super compliant and then they can then choose if they want to to go trade it on a secondary marketplace which can exist in this 
ecosystem of like, you know, a publisher's vault garden. And so that becomes like a much more seamless experience that is something that they're used to. And you have, you know, a number of vendors, FTX, for example, that can actually provide that like end to end. And so it's one of like the initiatives that I'm spending a lot of time on is our gaming business. Well, and that's a good segue to tell us a little bit more, or I'd be curious, Amy, some of the other names besides Axie. I mean, as you said, Axie Infinity has become the go-to example that everyone uses for play to earn, maybe for better or worse. And I just want to make sure we hear some of the other names that you think are interesting, whether it's games that are already out or studios that are making games that you're watching and investing in? Yeah, there. I mean, it's, uh, we are already kind of in the process of closing four gaming deals with the with FTX Ventures. Super exciting. I mean, each one of these is is innovating on how they're using blockchain. A game that's live right now that actually I had invested in when I was at Lightspeed along with FTX is a game called Mini Royale. And the CEO is Alex Paley. And it's interesting because it actually was, it's, it was like a Web2 browser game with a Discord population in the tens of thousands of people. And when it became obvious that the browser was a very easy integration with crypto wallets, and so therefore pivoting that into a Web3 game was pretty organic, they did that. And so um, and have since dropped a couple of rounds of NFTs. And so today are very much live NFT game in sort of like the fast twitch, like Battle Royale shooter category. Super fun. Highly recommend people check it out. It's, the game is called Mini Royale. And that has been an incredible learning journey for both Alex, the CEO, and also the investors around the table, because I think it actually was a game that was embraced by the community. And Alex was really careful in, for example, not using actually terminology like NFT, and instead talking about in-game assets that you can now own. And just, you know, actually communicating in a way that's just less scary and actually means something to a player that had already been playing that. And then also structuring kind of like the the way that NFTs are earned by players actually playing the game rather than just buying it. You know, it's it's actually you can mint um the NFTs are minted for pretty cheap amount. I mean, really it's accessible for pretty much anybody versus like you don't have to buy, pay like tens like ten thousand dollars to buy a rare NFT necessarily. So I, I actually think it's like I, I encourage a lot of gaming CEOs to take a look at the white paper and and check them out or talk to Alex because there are really few live Web3 games out right now and they have learned like so much in this journey in just um, a short period of time. Yeah, Amy, I want to uh, follow up and also just to be clear, like I'm not hating on Axia. I have a lot of respect for entrepreneurs who can build that. They pioneered and early adoption is always clumsy. But um, you mentioned wallets a few times. I'm just wondering, can you take us into the future a bit in terms of like, will we all require like 10 or 20 separate wallets to interact with this world of Web3, especially FTX, I suspect, is somewhat of a Solana shop, you know, because I know, you know, SBF really likes it, you know, but that's yet another wallet. So will I have to have a Rona wallet and a Solana wallet? and MetaMask, and on and on. Is someone going to consolidate this? What is the role of wallets? Because that's kind of a bottleneck and a friction in the space right now. So what's that going to look like in two years? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I think that there's a lot of different providers of the wallets. There's standalone wallets. There's wallets that sit within you know, a broader kind of portfolio of products, like, it, like the FTX custodial wallet. There's custodial and non-custodial ones. There's also aggregators that actually where you can plug in 10 different wallets and see what your total portfolio looks like. And having a dozen wallets is kind of like a prosumer expert trader move. You know, people have a ton of wallets to try to take advantage of DeFi airdrops and things like that. But your billion retail 
consumers, you know, want to have a really seamless experience. They don't even want to think about the pro- the wallet, right? Like, I mean, let's say hypothetically in a future world, you're going on Twitter, maybe like, or Facebook, Meta, or some Web3 social network, and you're collecting NFTs and things like that. And that, well, really, I, I think of it as that I, I'm collecting them in that social network. I'm not even thinking about a wallet. It's, it, I think it will increasingly become abstracted. And so I, right now there's, there's a bit of like, I don't want to call it like a wallet battle, but there certainly is like a lot of people trying to own that piece of it. Whereas like, I think the more important thing is thinking about the user experience, like what actually makes sense for users, because certainly a user doesn't want to have a really like scary or complicated onboarding experience. You just want to do whatever is like easiest. And honestly, having one wallet probably is easiest. Or if you don't even think about the wallet, right? You're just thinking about using the app. Well, and the UX kind of in crypto in general probably has to get better and easier for normies, right? Or do you think it doesn't? I mean, sometimes I make a mistake. It absolutely has to. Okay. I think that- sometimes um, crypto people say, no, no, it's okay if it's, you know, X, Y, Z, because, you know- right now it's still early. It's like, no, it, it has to be. Yeah. There are people who just even, even going to Coinbase and then sending, you know, or FTX and then sending crypto to your MetaMask wallet and then having to pay an ETH. That's too many steps for people who aren't tech savvy. Yeah. So the power DeFi user can really figure out everything. But again, there's less than, I think there's still less than fewer than 20, uh, 20 million DeFi users, probably far less than that. And your average consumer user, if you look at the dominant consumer apps out there, is looking for an extremely different experience. I will say that some of the best teams that we've met in building on D- and DeFi have really internalized that. And they're thinking, they're bringing some of the best practices from, from consumer apps, uh, UX design into these uh, DeFi or Web3 apps that they're building. And this will be a competitive advantage in a field where there's today there's like less talent, I think, and thinking around that. Amy, we have just a couple last questions for you. One I wanted to make sure I ask. I mean, of course, we talked about gaming and NFTs in the gaming world, but as we chat and do this pod, you know, there's an interesting divergence happening with crypto prices overall and a tough start to the year versus NFT sales and not just the gaming NFTs. I mean, NFTs are very hot right now, even despite the crypto market. And I'm just curious your take on the non-gaming NFT stuff, especially because I mean, a moment ago, we were talking about the UX for normies. I feel like the loudest story right now out of the whole crypto world that is the most mainstream is NFTs and specifically like, you know, profile picture NFTs, Bored Apes, Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton on TV talking about their Bored Apes. Is this on balance good, bad? Because I I don't blame the NFT haters who look at the Bored Apes and they just think it's stupid. And even after you try to explain it to certain people... They just can't get there and it just looks stupid to them. I mean, where is all this going to go when it comes to the NFT landscape? NFTs has certainly captured the imagination of the consumer mainstream market in a way that I don't think anyone, most most anyone in crypto could have imagined, you know, sort of nine months, 12 months ago. And it just kind of speaks to the fact that, yeah, people really are are pulled by culture. And when I think of NFTs, I think of, brand actually like you know how what is like louis vuitton or like a gucci or whatever brand like disney etc like what does that evoke in people it invokes a lot of things whether it's like merchandising products experiences and i think eventually that's that's you're already seeing that with board ape yacht club now that that is exactly what's happening it's it's an incredibly valuable ip 
decentralized by the way like maybe one of the the only the the, the first like sort of nft projects in which if i own my ape i can actually create products with my ape and that's something that you know in the web2 world this is not something that this ip this this these kind of ip rights are are pretty new and and we also are seeing that that being one of the key drivers to why i think board apes have captures so much imagination because it's everywhere. You know, you're seeing it on billboards, you're seeing it on television with celebrity endorsements, et cetera. And so I think these NFT companies are building brands. And the first wave of NFTs was just pure speculation, right? And then there's like, you know, a few people that are collecting and, you know, they actually are uh, like visually seeing kind of some of the, um, some of the art, but really, I mean, if we were to be honest with ourselves, it's like gambling speculation, but now we're kind of moving into a cycle in which some of these NFT teams like Board Apes are building brands, collection of, I don't know, everything from product merchandising, maybe eventually experiences, movies, games, et cetera. And that is, those are, those can become really valuable businesses. Like a lot of these NFT teams are structured as DAOs. And so it'll be really interesting to see kind of how they run these projects in a way that can actually provide produce a lot of value around the IP. And because there's a lot of coordination organization that is difficult, especially when the DAO gets bigger. And so I think amongst investors, like DAOs and NFTs are a huge area of interest and focus right now. I'm seeing so many NFT funds spinning up this year. And so I am pretty bullish on the future of it. And uh, because again, we're still at the early stage of adoption. I do think there's a little bit of a conflict between scarcity and mass adoption so you know if people can't afford an nft with like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar floor price how will they actually you know how do they resonate with something that they can't own and so just like fashion brands have their ultra luxury line and they have different tiers i actually think you know maybe some nft teams will go that direction as well to actually kind of democratize ownership while still you know maintaining scarcity value in some way that's a fascinating observation amy you know just like toyota also owns lexus so i like the idea right. of when will the toyota nfts arrive that's really neat um just to to close out though it's it's kind of fun talking to investors like you because you literally have to bet on the future you named a couple of the major trends recently namely DAOs and nfts but take us in the future give us two or three things to watch on the horizon you think are going to be big yeah, I think one of the areas that's really interesting in the um, DevOps infrastructure space is that right now developers are choosing to build on specific blockchain ecosystems. And what happens when these? I mean, I think last year there were a couple dozen cross-chain protocols that were that were launching or or building. And when they start going live this year, and to make it super easy for an application to actually build cross-chain, how does that change the landscape? I think actually that move will also make kind of traditional developers coming from Web2 companies to come over to Web3 much easier as well. And over time, do you actually abstract what is today a challenging experience building directly on on chain into like, for example, like in the in the traditional world, you have this rich ecosystem of DevOps tooling that really is helping somebody who is a more like like a lot larger group of developers to be able to build more complicated products and does that also happen in the web3 world as well and so in that case like like along that vein i think devops infra software for crypto is going to be super interesting and another area is there's so much rug pulling 
in, in the crypto world. And so what does security products look like? You know, I think there's more traditional ways, approaches that sort of like, you know, automating some of the security audits that these protocols are taking, but are there decentralized approaches as well? That's super interesting. And then if you think about just being able to do peerless and uh, sort of transactions and data storage, like is there applications in healthcare and life sciences that can be extended to, to blockchain? We're actually super excited about that at FTX. I'm at the beginning of this journey myself and trying to think about use cases in blockchains in, in the healthcare space. And so, you know, within six months, hopefully we'll, we'll see some interesting innovation there. I mean, obviously there's a ton, you have one regulated industry trying to expand into another very heavily regulated industry. So that probably won't happen very uh, too soon, but definitely really, really interesting. Love it. Love it. Good view into the future. And uh, just as long as it doesn't become, Amy, like every industry saying, blockchain, we're going to do blockchain, but without crypto. We all remember that era, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's always cyclical and we'll see. And obviously, you know, if we sort of move into a more prolonged bear market, and it's really difficult to, to predict that, I would say, that also will be an interesting environment of less funding, potentially. And so... Yeah, I think it's hard to predict what will happen this year, but it's going to be an exciting year. It's going to be huge. Amy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan and Jeff. Really enjoyed it. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen, and we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.